This is Nicole Deffenbaugh. If you are enjoying the podcast, we invite you to tell your friends and family and like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. So I enjoyed family medicine, the relationship with my patients, the, the clinical piece. I was struggling with how medicine was practiced, the, the, the hamster wheel, the, uh, the late nights and the always running behind and seemingly not being able to uh, satisfy folks. Over time I thought, can we do something different in our practice and we worked to do a couple things, patient-centered medical home, uh, hire, working our staff a little bit differently and it helped in small doses. It didn't really change dramatically. So. I hoped that following the money would help uh, change some of the, um, I would be able to help participate in changing how things might uh, work in the future. So sort of working for the insurance company years ago, uh, spent more and more of my time there trying to understand how things work and ultimately moved to a, when there was an opportunity to a full-time position to really try to uh, make a change and it seems like Everything's in the mix right now, or change hopefully will soon be happening. Welcome to Health Stories. This is a podcast where we invite you, the listener, to hear stories from clinicians and patients about how they navigate our complex U.S. healthcare system. I'm Nicole Deffenbaugh, and today I am joined by Dr. Burke, who works for an administrative company uh, that manages self-funded health plans. So welcome, Dr. Burke. Thank you. Uh, he was answering the question, why did you transition to the dark side? Why did you move over to the dark side? Uh, that was his opening story, because uh, Dr. Burke is a physician um, and uh, was in full-time practice, right, you were saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then uh, joined, uh, came over to, to health insurance. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today in this podcast. This podcast is going to be a little bit different than other podcasts because it is going to be uh, specifically focused just on questions, uh, questions of transparency, uh, so to really understand why the health insurance industry does what it does, uh, and two, uh, an opportunity for Dr. Burke to offer tips to the rest of us um, to navigate the health insurance system. This is probably one of the most uh, often uh, Uh, asked questions that I get when I do community talks is, I don't understand my health insurance. I don't know what's going on, and I thought this would be a great opportunity. Um, We're going to break this up into four sections, Um, actually five, looking here. Um, We're going to talk about claims and bills uh, for the folks who are listening, uh, prescription questions, uh, hospital questions when you're an inpatient, um, outpatient um, primary care provider type questions, network questions, the fourth is, uh, that was the fourth, sorry, and the fifth is industry questions, sort of like big picture questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we're going to talk about uh, transparency of the system first, and then we're going to get into uh, offering tips and suggestions. Um, so I'm just going to start with my first question. Why does insurance cost so much? <laughs> that's, well, the, that's the question I get, and I'm sure you get a lot. Why, why does it cost so much? There's a simple answer to that. I'm just kidding. There's not. <laughs> I wanted to just state one thing beforehand yes, from yeah. um, from my perspective. The work that we do with a self-funded plan may be a little bit different than an insurance company per se. Um, 
that shows up even in this first question because there are lots of things that happen in an insurance company with actuaries, et cetera, uh, that set premiums. And when you, uh, if you are an employer, and employers, even though we all have deductibles and pay premiums, the majority of the healthcare costs, if you're employed, are paid by your employer. Uh, they can either opt to get insurance, which is where they pay a premium, and regardless of what happens to the population, that's their premium. Typically higher than if you're self-funded and you basically just pay for everything, all their healthcare costs for your employees. There's more risk in that, obviously, if something big and bad happens, you're sort of stuck. Um, but there's those two things. So as we go through here, I'm gonna talk about my experiences, which is the, the latter, the self-insured uh, self plan, where uh, our, our company, basically pays for the health care as, uh, as it comes up for all of our employees and their families. Okay. So to answer your question, why does it cost so much? One of the things we do on a regular basis is, uh, is look at the cost trend for our health plan. So there's a lot of things that go into that. Primarily, it's utilization of services. So we look over, uh, over time, and regardless of what we do, it continues to increase. Um, there's reasons for that. Things just get more expensive. Um, we're finding that technology is becoming um, an issue in the industry. It's, it's a good thing we get better technology, but typically when it's the medical field, it's going to be very expensive. Whether it's a, a procedure, a medicine, uh, etc., it becomes the numbers I've seen are really just sort of astronomical. You're, you're oh, this new medicine's out for this particular disease. Um, it's half a million dollars a year, and you need to be on it forever. I'm like, oh my gosh, for a health plan like ours, it's not huge, and it's medically necessary. How do, we, how do we cut $500,000 worth of cost elsewhere uh, to try to be as fair as possible to afford that? Another piece is really capitalism. So um, one of the great examples, I think, is the hepatitis C medications that came out. Great medicine, they can cure hepatitis C. So they cost maybe about $100,000 for a course, a three-month course. Um, and I believe the, uh, the manufactured one was quoted in saying, well, we charge that because we can. That's what the market will bear, people will pay that, so that's what we're going to charge. And that's capitalism. That's, that's, that's how I think we do a lot of that, um, you know, worldwide certainly been in this country, and that, that's a challenge for healthcare. One of the main things, the third, uh, is stewardship. So when doctors are treating patients, cost is typically not a concern. It's usually, you know, what's the right thing? Um, am I going to get sued if I do something wrong? I, I need to satisfy the patient. So there's a lot of different, it's a, it's a complex relationship. It's not as sort of objective or black and white as, you know, um, folks may think. And the practice of medicine is just that. It's sort of gray too. So there's a lot of, um, this is right, and this is right, and this is right, this is right, and there's, so there's, a, there's a, a mix. So frequently I experience doctors sort of err on the side of doing too much, too, uh, doing more than not doing enough. So that winds up being a cost utilizer. So primarily what we do, and I think insurance companies do as well, is try to manage that quote-unquote overutilization. So when you say doing more, like doing more tests than are necessary, surgeries that are necessary, procedures, mm -hmm. treatments, et cetera? Okay. Yeah. I have a small example of that. Recently I had a, um, a personal health issue where I had a rash on my ankle. I'm like, yeah, it's not going away, but I have no other symptoms. Went to see my doctor. He's like, hmm, looks like it's probably Lyme. You know, you probably have stage one Lyme disease. So I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, well, we can do the Lyme test. I'm like, oh, isn't it early on? It's not really reliable. He's like, it can be helpful. I'm like, is it going to change my treatment? He's like, no, I'm still going to give you the three weeks, three weeks worth of antibiotics. I'm like, that's okay. I really don't need to have the test done. 
for me specifically, we have our high deductible health plan. So for us, premiums are nice and low, but all that cost in the beginning is mine. So I'm like, mm, let's hold off on that unless I really need to have it done. So that was an example, and he's a great doc, and it wasn't inappropriate, but was it really absolutely necessary to do the test? I hope not. <laughs> um, so I think that was an exa a small example of, you know, uh, where docs tend to say, hey, this is for completeness. It's a yeah. term you hear a lot in medicine, and that becomes uh, expensive. Yeah, and how would you have known to ask those questions unless you were a physician yourself? Do you know what I mean? So how do the rest of us, you know, so, so what I'm hearing you say is that with physicians, they know what's best, mm -hmm. right, medically. And so they want to cover everything, concerns about, you know, uh, lawsuits, concerns about um, making sure that they've covered all of their bases, mm -hmm. all their differentials. So they're going to do more. They're going to do more tests and look for more when it may not be, quote, medically necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you're trying to do is trying to reduce some of those costs, being able to say, like in your case with, you know, stage one Lyme disease, and how much does the Lyme test cost usually? It's a few uh, hundred dollars, right? It's a few hundred dollars, yeah. Yeah, and so you saved a few hundred dollars by getting mm -hmm. a test that you knew wasn't really going to make a difference in your treatment. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the answer to the question, that is the key. It's... Um, it's always asking, um, do I really need this and how will it affect my treatment? I think physicians, I, when I was practicing, was always under the assumption that you wanted more. So I would the always- patient, The patient, yeah, mm -hmm. sorry, I'm pointing at you. Uh, <laughs> but the patient wants more. Uh, they want everything. And it was, I was surprised many times and they're like, do I really need that? I'm like, oh, well, absolutely not. You actually don't absolutely need it. And here's what will happen potentially. Here's the risk. It's a low risk. We're going to miss something, but it's probably a risk worth taking. There's always going to be a risk that we miss something. But, you know, we don't have to do it. And this, this, and this can happen. We can watch and see, and then we can do it if we need to. Right. Um, but I think uh, when the docs I used to work with, he's always like, docs are people pleasers, and they are. Yeah. You know, it's you know, it's your business, it's your practice, and you want and you have a relationship with someone, so you want to uh, make sure you're satisfying them. And you, and doctors, I think, assume frequently that they need to do more to satisfy their patients. Yeah, the other thing I've heard, too, is um, just staying on this in terms of cost, is it is in terms of the stewardship to be able to step back and say, I recognize as a physician that by doing some of these extra tests, I'm actually adding more potential stress for the patient. Um, they're actually going to have to go through tests that may not tell us anything. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some people say, well, I don't want to give this test because it's not going to give us the answers. So why would I put the patient through extra pay, extra costs and extra stress? And that was part of the stewardship answer as well. And I think most of us as patients don't realize that, that they're giving us extra tests and having us do extra treatments that actually they know medically aren't mm -hmm. going to make a difference. So or, why uh, so why are they doing it? You it know, so. Yeah, it won't make a uh, huge difference. I think frequently when we order tests, you're supposed to know the answer already before you order the test. And there's a very, very rare chance when like, oh, you're surprised by the test result and it does completely change your treatment. It's rare, so I think then it's reasonable to say, okay, we're going to hold off on that until something like this happens. Uh, but I think it's just not, uh, overall, it's not sort of the forefront of what docs think. A, the transparency even for physicians on cost of care, from tests to medicines, it's almost non-existent. Docs just don't know how much things cost. Mm. They know, may know an MRI is going to cost more than an x-ray, but they don't know really what the differential is. We spent some time, even within our own company, trying to figure out, well, what do we pay for MRIs? And it took us like a lot of time to try to figure it out because there's so many variables uh, and, and those type of things. So we are moving toward uh, measuring physician performance differently. 
for a while now it's been, you know, are you doing everything medically appropriately? That still exists, quality measures. But now it's with the cost of care. Are you caring for a knee replacement, diabetes, whatever it is, um, consistent with your peers? Or are you always prescribing expensive medicines, using expensive knee joints, those type of things versus your, your peers? So it's, it's becoming more of the conversation and I think there's gonna be more uh, transparency around that. So, so docs will start to understand, I think we're, um, where that, that piece, the cost piece is gonna come in. Well, I can't help but think though, is, does that mean that physicians are going to be watched in terms of the amount that they spend? You know, So now they're, they have to have so many RVUs and seeing so many patients a day. Mm. Is the next step to be able to say as a physician, you know what, you spent too much, you were getting too many tests and too many procedures, and so now we're actually gonna watch how much you spend. And as a patient and the people listening, I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, if there is a 10% chance that you're going to do a test that's going to find the tumor that the other test didn't, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I want that extra test, but are we going to go in the opposite direction and physicians aren't going to get the, the do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I think the way, we have some pretty cool data now, pretty cool, way to, cool ways to analyze it. If you um, take sort of this, if you were to report to a physician, hey, you're, spe you're, you're spending more than others on their on your back pain, typically what we'll do is say, okay, it's the same diagnosis, same severity, and there's a bunch of different metrics we use to determine severity, and say, all right, it's costing you twice as much to care for backs as it is this guy, and the outcomes are the same. You know, help us understand that. That's what we see as waste in the system. If you can produce the same outcomes uh, as somebody who's uh, spending much less of the uh, limited resource, Sometimes people don't, people don't understand that it is a limited resource. Um, let's understand why. Is there a reason why that you're, you're spending that much more? So those are the conversations I think it is. Um, I think doctors always have the, uh, you know, the ability to say, yeah, this is the right thing to do and I know why. Um, and I think that's, that, that practice piece is always going to be there. It's just going to be, uh, be aware more now of your, really your stewardship responsibility around the healthcare cost. So maybe identify more of the outliers. So not that is. everybody is spending more, but there are a few that are spending exorbitant amount of money. Yes. So let's let's identify those individuals. And I'll say briefly that when we've looked at that so far, there actually are reasons why, at least in our network that we've seen, oh, because he sees all these complex patients, so he really can't match them appropriately. So it's fine type thing, but your yeah. point is correct. Interesting. Um, so I want to get into some of these claims and bills specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so why are some claims denied? We've all probably had denied claims. Why do mm -hmm. they? Why do you deny a claim for a medically necessary treatment or surgery? So there's probably two primary reasons why things are denied. One, your health plan doesn't cover it, uh, or two, it's not medically necessary. Both are not easy questions to answer. So let me uh, give it a try. <laughs> so the plan doesn't cover it. There's a couple things typically in a health plan: exclusions, weaning. Regardless, we just don't cover this. Reversal of voluntary sterilization is a good example. Most insurance companies don't cover that. Our health plan doesn't cover that. So if you decide to get a vasectomy, we're not going to pay to get it reversed. It's in the plan. It's going to be denied if you ask for it. Uh, there are certain limitations of plans where you may need to try one medicine before another medicine uh, is made available. So it may be denied on that front end. Um, there's also the network piece, which I think we might talk about a little bit later, but the um, uh, if you try to if you want to go to somebody who's not participating in your network, that may be yeah you need to see X specialist, but we would deny you seeing that uh, uh, coverage for that. 
that's the, the one piece. It's never denying the care. It's always denying the coverage of it, which I guess for all intents and purposes is if you're not going to pay for it, it sort of does deny the care. But the language difference is what you're saying. It is. It's, it's not you're denying the care, it's you're denying the coverage. Yeah, we for were not going to pay for that because we have this available to you instead, okay. uh, which may not be exactly what you want. Um, those are probably the primary plan reasons. Uh, and then there's the medical necessity piece, and that one's always a challenge. Yeah, because if the doctor says it's medically necessary, how can you claim? It, it's medically necessary. How can you claim that what she ordered isn't medically necessary? Yeah. So there are, there's there's that that range of gray again. Sort of the there's there's a, some medicine that's black and white. That's about one percent of it. The rest of it's sort of gray. So there are physicians out there that don't follow the guidelines so closely. Uh, we say, hey, you know what, the back pain's been there only there for a week. The guideline really is for four weeks before you order the MRI if there's no oh. reflex issues or anything like that. But the patient was right in front of them, they were in a lot of pain, they really needed to have that MRI done, so they order it. When I've had conversations with physicians on the phone about that, which we, you know, we offer a, a peer-to-peer conversation where I say, yep, I denied that, tell me your story and I'll tell you why I denied it. Uh, and we sort of come to an agreement if it, if it was an incorrect denial. Uh, but some of the conversation is, I'm fine being the bad guy. You know, if it's something that you're, you know, you could do or you could wait, we'll say, well, let's wait and see. We may not have to do the test. And you can certainly blame me, you know, blame the insurance company because we're the ones who really are, uh, you know, denying the coverage for the test. Um, there are other times where um, treatment X may be right, treatment Y is right as well. Treatment X costs about one tenth of treatment Y. Uh, so we may say that really per our guidelines, per and our guidelines are typically based on the society's recommendations. We don't sort of just come up with things that are based on studies and society recommendations, etc. We say, I really need to try the methotrexate first for your rheumatoid arthritis versus your biologic, which will, you know, there's a humongous cost differential. And really the, the societies agree with that, that's medically appropriate. Some docs, for whatever reason, might not take that path. So those are probably the two large primary reasons why something would be denied. So a couple of things. One of the things that I just learned is that you will have conversations with physicians. Mm-hmm. So before the rest of us patients get the bill, you're actually on the phone saying, hey, can you help me understand why you ordered this MRI? And so does some of the claims actually get quote unquote resolved through phone conversations with the physicians? Yeah. So there's an interesting process. There's stuff that happens before service and stuff that happens after. So mm-hmm. there's the pre-authorization. So we may see something. Uh, before service. MRI is a good example. We'll get a pre-authorization request. We'll look at the clinical. We'll look at our guideline. If the nurse can approve it, she does. If she can't, we need to go to the physician because only physicians really can uh, can deny the, uh, the medical necessity determinations. Um, we'll look at it, make the denial. We offer a... Um, this is one of the things where I think insurance companies may be required to, but we're not. We offer sort of this courtesy, essentially peer-to-peer review, where within 48 hours or two business days, you can call up Typically, the person who made the, the, the adverse determination have a conversation with them. It's the like, physician, hey. you mean? Yeah, yeah, whatever physician winds up being. For us, it's usually me, there are other, others covering me uh, at times. So we try to get the same person who made the decision. Sometimes it's not, but it is the physician from the uh, insurance company. Uh, so we have the conversation. Sometimes they go, oh, I didn't know that. That really wasn't documented in your note. That makes much more sense. Fine, we can overturn that. So in those situations, depending on the timing, the, the patient may get a letter saying it was denied, quickly followed by a letter saying it was approved. If the conversation happens soon enough, they'll get a letter saying it was approved. So, but what happens though, so I'm hearing you say the physician might say, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, or whatever, oh, okay, but it was medically necessary. We initially denied it, but never mind, it's approved. But what happens to the person who gets it denied because they're like, oh yeah, whoops, I shouldn't have done that. So basically what I'm hearing you say is the physician made a mistake 
ordered something that they may not have or should have done, the treatment, they ordered option treatment Y instead of mm -hmm. X, which is more expensive, but then the patient has to bear that burden of the cost. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to say if it's a mistake per se, it's just that that's their, the, the physician chose a different treatment than, than the insurance company prioritized essentially, because we think about cost a lot with treatment versus the physicians as we talked about who really don't. Uh, so that letter would, yeah, go to the patient and then typically what winds up happening, the patient may contact us and say, well, why? Yeah. Or they may contact the doctor and say, well, what's going on? Why aren't they covering this? Uh, and we have frequent communications with the, with the offices. Uh, usually we do communicate with them and they, this is all on the, on the front end side, on the, the pre-authorization, and they'll communicate with the, uh, the patient. There's the claims piece like you described when it's already happened. A little bit of a different process still is a peer-to-peer -peer conversation about that if, uh, if there's more information to be had. There's really sort of a, a somewhat different process if, it's a, if the service has already happened. So I'm going to get to it, but I, I can't help but already think that we, we as patients, consumers, mm -hmm. should probably be asking more questions of our physicians. Like, why, why that treatment option? Why are you ordering this test? Mm -hmm. Is that really necessary? Well, my insurance covered. I've, I've well, had my that. insurance covered. They, yeah. they don't know. It's really your responsibility to know your health plan. Yeah. They know insurance in general. They're like, yeah, yeah. If you don't Physicians sort of know about. Yeah, yeah. Because right. they'll, they'll get either the rejection or the pre-authorization requests for certain things, and it's there's typically not certain insurances that that are really far off from others. You know, we don't require pre-certification for things that nobody else does, and by, you know, vice versa, typically. Um, and when something's denied, like, oh, well, you didn't have physical therapy first before the MRI, yeah, I guess it's going to be denied because all the insurance companies do the same thing. So they may know some of that um, beforehand, but they really don't know your specific plan. They're the all physician, yeah. Yeah, it's really only you and your insurance company who knows. Yeah. But one of the tips we'll talk about later, it sounds like, is to really be asking more questions as, as patients and consumers. Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll get to that. Um, so do I, oh, I'm sorry. So why, <laughs> this happened to me, so to our fellow listeners, why do we get bills for treatment that happened six months ago? I got one over a year ago. Mm -hmm. One was 18 months ago. 18 months ago. Okay. Could you tell us why Why does that happen? It's all the provider's fault. Now, so typically, <laughs> as, um, I think what, you, what can happen with this is it's, it's a communication back and forth. So I can give you a scenario. Um, you get a service done, a claim comes in. Uh, they look at the claim and they say, oh, you know what? Uh, we can't really pay this claim unless we have additional information like you know, some medical records. So that goes back to the provider. Depending on how long the provider submits that, they have like 180 days to do that. They have a long time to do it. Uh, okay. So they may do it right away, they may do it later. We get that and we say, oh, okay. Our claims folks can't really process that. We need to send it to medical management folks. There's a, there's a medical question to this. So we look at the medical question, it goes back pretty quickly. Um, uh, and they may respond back to the, um, uh, the provider. You know, based on the stuff you sent us, uh, not approved. You know, it's not medically necessary, here are your appeal rights. And they start working through some of that process. Um, and really depending on how much time it takes for the information to get back and forth between the provider and the insurance company, not a lot of times determines that uh, okay. that billing. Because it's at the end of the day where they there's a final, a final uh, payment that goes to the uh, provider. Here's our final payment. We've looked at all your stuff. Here's their deductible. Here's everything. Here's your payment. And then the, uh, the provider gets to decide then, well, okay, well, I'm going to balance bill this patient, so I'm going to send them a bill for the, the rest of the stuff that their insurance company didn't pay us. And then it is 18 months later, and, and wow. you finally get the, the post-multi-adjudicated uh, bill. <laughs> yeah. So again, it's this whole, there's so many conversations that occur behind the scenes that we never know happen. As mm -hmm. patients, we never know. So 
that goes back to the provider if you saw multiple providers it's multiple people involved and then it comes back and then there's another question and it goes back and forth mm-hmm. it's just funny that when we get it as patients we'll get this bill and it's, it's like, like well you've got 30 drawer for the past yeah you have 30 months? you have 30 <laughs> days to pay this bill but we've been talking about it for 18 months mm-hmm. it's like wait what happened you know mm-hmm. and so this this lack of transparency so um thank you for for taking the time to do that frequently i will say mm-hmm. that you can um when you have a service done, you'll typically get an EOB, an explanation of benefits. It's worthwhile to probably take the time to understand how to read that. It took me a while to understand how to read our own EOBs. They're sort of, it's, well, there's like literally 10 columns and there's a bunch of prices here. I'm like, all right, you know, let me work through some of this. And typically, you'll you know, call the call center up or the, your customer service folks and say, help me understand this. Once you do, it'll be very helpful. You'll say, okay, I had the service. It cost this much. This is the negotiated rate that my insurance company negotiated with this provider. Oh, they paid, we paid zero, so there's going to be a balance here. That's never a bill. That's just your explanation of benefits. You could potentially anticipate that number, that bill coming from your provider. Um, and certainly, it's a heads up. So you might have had that EOB 18 months ago. But you, you, know, you may not have thought to, to look at it and see maybe what's coming down the pike. I didn't either until recently. Being on the HSA plan, I'm always going to get a bill. So I need to sort of get a, a sense of what that's going to be when, before it comes. Yeah, HSAs. I'm sorry, health, uh, health Savings Account, which is a high deductible health plan. Yeah, excellent. So I want to finish with the bills section. Mm-hmm. Um, so do I need to pay my entire bill? Can I pay some of it? What if I'm unable to pay my bill? So I know a lot of people talk about, because the number one bankruptcy in the U.S. is due to health care costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember years ago I had a student who had a very large bill and she couldn't pay it. And I... I, I the, the suggestion I had given to her at the time was pay a dollar, mm-hmm. pay something on it because you don't want it to go into what is it claim collections. collections I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, so I'm I'm curious for all of us with outstanding bills, mm-hmm. what would I guess we're already in the advice section, but I, I want to ask. Yeah, right? this is not so as much an insurance questions because you're never going to get a bill really from the insurance company. Right, right. Uh, it's going to be from your provider based on the payment from your insurance company. Right. So I think it's very it's variable by provider. Some providers will say, mm, okay, typically based on your financial situation, they'll, they'll say, all right, submit some financial records. We'll do our calculation and say, oh, okay, well, we can reduce that payment. We can eliminate that payment, whatever it is, or nope, you know, you're making enough money where we feel as if you need to pay us the rest of this, uh, the rest of this bill. Um, but it's going to be very uh, variable with um, providers. I did have a, um, a colleague I worked with who was on our health plan years and years ago who had a procedure done at an out-of-network uh, facility. Out-of-network, you said? Yeah, out-of-our-network. So it was down in, in Philadelphia. Um, she had the procedure. Uh, we approved it to be, you know, to be paid at our own rates. Uh, this was at one of those big you know, uh, medical centers. Uh, they charged, we would pay about $3,500 for the procedure. They charged her like $20,000. So she was like, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do? I'm like, well, you guys already paid what we were supposed to pay, and this is my huge balance bill. I'm like, well, call them up and have a conversation with them and say, what's the deal? Here's what's going on. And they ultimately said, uh, well, this is my, this is my, uh, what I heard the story to be. I never talked to the provider directly. Well, oh, well, we charge that much because some people actually pay it, or some insurance companies actually pay it. We can uh, wipe off, wipe the rest of that away. We'll just take what your insurance company pays. So wait, was, wait, they so- wrote off the seventeen thousand dollars because. They don't want an individual to pay that, but if your insurance company would, they would want your insurance company to pay that. So sometimes. But she got the bill. She got the bill and was able. She had to do the negotiation. They said, "We'll wipe that bill away. You don't have to worry about paying it." Uh, and here's the reason why we did it. Wow. Um, but there are plenty of folks that work with our own health network. 
uh, there's a, a department that sort of talks about, okay, you have a bill, you know, what can we do to give you either a payment plan over time? Uh, what can we do to reduce the bill? So there's, there's a number of different ways. Typically, my uh, experience has been the providers aren't very, they're not, nope, you gotta pay and you have to pay in 30 days. There's, there's, there's no option. I would imagine there's some out there that do that, but it's. Uh, I think if there's, there's always they prefer to get their money than to send you to collections. Yeah. So it sounds like another little tidbit tip is uh, call. So when you get a bill and you have questions about it, you want to contest it, you're not sure. When in doubt, just call as opposed mm-hmm. to letting the bill collect and um, potentially not being able to pay for it and go in collections and have more problems. And we can certainly um, talk about appeal stuff uh, uh, later, but that's there's also a, a piece of that where really appealing directly to your um, insurance company uh, to, at least it's worked with us, to pay more than we've already paid. There's there's some oh. uh, precedent set for that to say, oh, no, it's You happening. can ask them to pay more. Yeah, you say, hey, um, our fee schedule may be um, this locally, but you had your service done in New York City. You know, it's going to be more expensive there. Can we use, uh, is, there, is there a way that you guys can, can uh, pay differently? for that particular service to reduce my bill. We've had, we have seen that done in our own health plan. I'm just having this moment. I don't know about the people listening. So I can ask to have the insurance pay more and cover mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. This is so enlightening. Especially <laughs> if you've done the right things already. Yeah. Um, it's not like you've asked for something that's not covered. Uh, you've, you, you've, done, you've gone through the steps and now you're like, oh, I did everything right. I have insurance. Why am I getting this huge bill? Yeah. Um, so I think there's that, that's that's another option. And I think we've all had that. We we have what we consider to be good health insurance, and we have good coverage, or what we assume is good, mm-hmm. only to get an, an extraordinary bill that mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense because we thought it was covered, or at least more of it should have been covered. So mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so can I get the cost for something in advance for a procedure for a prescription, and can I find out what my costs are? Yeah, it's not easy, of course, because anything we talk about so far hasn't been. I don't think <laughs> yeah. most things aren't with uh, with uh, healthcare, unfortunately. You can a when you call your insurance company, you can say they'll they might not know how much the test costs, but they'll know what your deductible is and how much you've already met. Sort of, they don't know about things they haven't received bills for, only things they've already paid. So there may be things you might have gone to the doctor, you know, two weeks ago, and they don't know about it. So they may give you information about your deductible that isn't accurate at the moment because they haven't received the bill for it yet. Uh, they can uh, let you know about co-pays and everything else about your insurance. Uh, you may not know specifically what the test cost is and they may not know that either. That may be through the provider. I know there are organizations that um, are getting to be more transparent about that. We can look up, uh, you know, we might have a test number or test name. You can look it up online and see how much it will cost with or without insurance. So there's some tr- transparency there. We'll be toward that. It's pretty much in its infancy so far. Um, uh, but that's uh, certainly an option. The other piece, which is rarely used, but it does exist, it's called a, for us, it's called a predetermination or a pre-D. Okay. If, you, if your provider, if you, this is all before your service, if they submit what's called a predetermination, which is essentially what the claim would look like, what they're gonna give us specifically, what they're gonna do, how they're gonna bill for it, any modifiers they're gonna use, then we can really say, yep, based on you today and this claim coming in, if this were to be paid today, here's exactly what we pay for it. Interesting. Dentists do that very frequently. So, so how would you get a predetermination from um, a provider though? Th- you'd probably want to, that I don't know the answer to, I would probably call our customer service folks and say, I want to get a pre-D from my provider, how would I do that? And then it may be um, uh, a conversation then with the provider, they may direct you to say, um, here's how you might do that, and they may just say, call your provider, they know what that is, and they can submit that on your behalf.
Yeah. So it's it's worth asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the insurance company doesn't always know because each because providers charge differently. Mm-hmm. And so can we go to the provider too and ask? So are we, you know, as consumers, do we need to be asking both? So I I did this. So I'll give you an example. Recently, um, I was actually in Hawaii, interestingly, Mm -hmm. and uh, visiting family member and got saladinitis, which is a salivary gland. Mm -hmm. It got all infected. It came out of nowhere. sounds rather uncomfortable. It it was uncomfortable (laughs) and it, it came out of nowhere. And I found myself um, knowing enough about insurance to say, okay, I don't want to go to the ER. I know that this is bad. By the third day, I had a, a fever, which I usually don't run a fever. I'm like, uh-oh, so something's going on. So I called my health insurance. And I said, um, what should I do? And I found my health insurance person giving me medical advice, and they said, I'll go to a dentist because it's the cheapest, and here's why. And so they explained through my plan, it's the cheapest copay, you'd mm-hmm. only have to pay this amount. So I go to the dentist. Dentist had no idea what I had. So the dentist says, I recommend that you go next door. We actually have, um, I think it was an ENT or nose and throat specialist mm-hmm. that I'm seeing. He asked me a couple questions and diagnosed me in like five minutes. But what he said is, as we talked about costs, He said, well, I could put this through to your insurance or I can just charge you outright Mm -hmm. and would probably be cheaper because he was out of network. It would be cheaper if I just charged you outright. So I did. So I ended up having to see a specialist, but I I called the insurance company to tell me where I should go because I knew ER was most expensive. I knew urgent care was next. You know, I had a little bit of time, but I also recognized I didn't really have weeks to go back home and I was still going to be there. Um, the end of the story, though, is interesting because I had to get a prescription filled because I was put on antibiotics mm-hmm. and prednisone as an anti-inflammatory, and I end up, um, you know, at I can't remember some, you know, some food store that had, you know, a pharmacy in it, and I give them the prescription, and they come back and they said this is going to cost you two hundred and sixty dollars under your insurance. I said, excuse me, I don't have two hundred and sixty dollars to pay for this. Mm-hmm. They said, however, we're in Hawaii. So we'll come back and we'll look up some of the coverage because Hawaii is one of the best in terms of medical coverage, I guess, for, for pharma- pharmacy. I didn't know this, uh, but I do know that knew that Hawaii has some exceptions. And they came back, and I don't remember the exact cost, but she said, yeah, we looked up some numbers, and if you don't use your insurance um, and you pay out of pocket, it'll cost you $16. That's interesting. So $260 mm-hmm. for these prescriptions, not using my health insurance actually cost me $16 because they were able to under the state of Hawaii, I guess. And, and again, I didn't ask all the transparency. It was covered. you yeah. know. So it's, it's a good example of having gone through the system to call the insurance company to find out how much it would cost. But at the end of the day, though, it was the health insurance company didn't know I was going to see, need to see an ENT specialist. They didn't right. know that he was going to be the one that diagnosed me. Mm-hmm. They couldn't have anticipated what the pharmacy was going to cost except to say, well, yeah, you're going to have to pay the $260. And I'm sitting here thinking, why do I have health care insurance? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that you hit on that were good, good for you. I think that one, you sort of knew your plan. Well, you knew the ER was more expensive than like an urgent care. Um, turns out, you know, I know your plan too. Um, there's, there's certainly, uh, it costs you more to go and certainly costs the health system in general. So that's a stewardship thing where, you know, we can do a better job of, all right, I, an emergency room is like, you know, you're sort of dying. You need to, it's an emergency, you need to go there versus an inconvenience. So it sounds like you hit it right there. And then you had, you know, the foresight to ask the questions, you know, 
in the in the office for both the doctor and the uh, um, and the, the medicine. It's almost like you sort of did that negotiation uh, at least at the pharmacy right away. Say, hey, you know, I know with my health plan, there's only one pharmacy that's covered, and it's the hospital pharmacy. So, you know, how do we work this? And it sounds like in that situation, I have a similar story, different outcome locally. Um, but it sounds like the state may subsidize, um, you know, folks that don't have coverage uh, with the pharmacy with that. But I think the theme is going to be throughout this, knowing as much as you possibly can and not being, uh, you know, shy or afraid to ask the questions. I think it's always, it's for me personally, even as a physician and an examiner when I'm a patient, I feel sort of funny pushing the doc and asking questions to the doc. I'm a freaking doc. Um, but there's a different, you know, it's different when you're the patient. When you're sitting in that chair, there's a different sort of, uh, you know, psychi- uh, uh, psychology with it. So I think there's, once you can get comfortable with that, have the conversation. And I think, you know, some doctors are not great with bedside manner. It might be a hard conversation to have, but I think most are not. I think you'll probably be okay. Yeah, but you know, we we are may not be literate, health literate enough to know the questions to ask. You know, and that yeah. makes it challenging. And they might not know the answer to the cost stuff. Yeah, I was surprised right, that right. ENT sort of knew that. Maybe if there's a bunch of people who vacation there, but I wouldn't, as a uh, you know, in my practice, know that. Oh, you know, if you don't have insurance, it's probably less than if I build your insurance company. I wouldn't know that. Yeah, I think in Hawaii they have so many non-uninsured or underinsured okay. individuals. That would be my guess, which might actually be a reflection of the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Which we'll get into that um, about a single payer system and universal mm-hmm. coverage. Um, I want to move on to prescriptions since mm-hmm. we just um, already start talking about it. So. Why is the same prescription cheaper at Walmart than it might be at a pharmacy? So talking about different coverage. Uh, yeah, so it's basically pharmacy to pharmacy. Walmart, it's the pharmacy within Walmart. So they're all uh, pharmacies. I think um, like anything that's um, retail, the retailer can decide what they charge. Um, I know Walmart did a great job many years ago with their $4 uh, prescription, a huge list. We would use that frequently in the office to sort of prescribe to folks, don't use your insurance use a $4 list. Um, I think, you know, they might have used that strategically as sort of a, a lost leader to say, we want to get people in, we'll maybe take a hit on these medicines, where they're going to be in our store and they're going to buy other stuff. So that's their decision to make. Others may not make that same decision. So I think it really wants to be in a business call. The story I was going to tell you uh, about my experience, so I was at my, the doctor's office at the line, I'm like, he's like, well, you know, you need doxycycline. I'm like, that sounds like a pretty cheap antibiotic. It's been around forever. It's like I could call it to your pharmacy uh, or, you know, one of the big name ones down the road. I'm like, well, it's on my way. I don't want to go all the way back to the, because it's going to be cheap. If I can get it here, that's fine. So I went to the, the big pharmacy um, and they're like, um, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to have insurance for it. It's going to be sort of out of pocket. They're like, okay, it was 120 bucks. I'm like, hmm, that doesn't seem like cheap. Like I thought it was going to be cheap. I'm like, eh, I don't know, maybe. So I paid for it and I, you know, got in touch with our pharmacy. I'm like, if, you know, for this doxy for three weeks at this dose, this type, uh, what would the cost have been for me? You know, with, with our health plan, even though I have a high deductible health plan, my plan still negotiates, so I still get, the, get that rate, so it's worthwhile. They're like, oh, it would have been 12 bucks. I'm like, oh man, what if I didn't have any insurance at all? They're like, oh, our retail rate is $19. So wow. that's the big brand saying, well, we want to charge more for this, and we will. So they... Wait a minute, if you didn't have any insurance at all, it would have cost you $19. Right, and that, because I do have insurance, it was going to cost me 12 So it was, it was a small difference at our, uh, our retail pharmacy within the network wow, versus okay. I would imagine it would have been much less expensive if I had insurance that would have covered it at the big box store. Yeah, there only would have been a $7 difference under your insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's just yeah. an example of the negotiated rates. 
uh, the, the, the insurance company, such as cheap medicine, so they weren't able to, our insurance company probably wasn't able to negotiate a huge discount on it. Um, but overall, um, that pharmacy decided we're not going to mark up the retail rate on doxycycline. Okay. You know, we're, um, we're just going to keep it inexpensive. For but you could go to Walmart or you could go somewhere else without insurance coverage mm-hmm. and get something cheaper than you would under your own insurance. Uh, yeah, sometimes that is because, for instance, if you have a, a plan where uh, your copay for generic medicine is ten dollars, you know, they may just charge you ten dollars. Where if you buy a it cash, it's three dollars because that's how much it costs. I know in our own pharmacy, if it's three dollars, you don't have to pay your copay; you just pay, uh, you know, whatever the smaller amount is. I'm not sure that all retail pharmacies do it that way. Yeah, it can't, and I can't help but wonder then why am I paying so much? So I'm I'm, I'm paying a lot of money sometimes for my prescription coverage mm-hmm. with health insurance when I might actually pay less without it, which isn't always the case, though. Mm-hmm. Right, but sometimes it is, so. Yeah, that's part of the bigger question because you're paying for that guy's medicine, you're paying for this person's medicine. Anytime you're having insurance, you're all paying in. This guy who's pay, who's pay, who has to pay half a million dollars a year for his, car, his uh, prescription, you know, you're paying for some of that. Right. Um, so there's some, the individual stuff, you know, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. You're like, man, my coverage sort of stinks. Oops, except for if you needed that $500,000 medicine, right, okay. it would cost you 100 bucks a month. Well, that's interesting. So that gives us a little bit of a perspective then, um, you know, why something might be so expensive. If you're part of a plan, everybody under the plan, they're trying to keep the cost down. Um, so for somebody who needs the half a million dollar, they're going to have more of that coverage. You're paying for some prescription, the doxycycline, mm-hmm. you're going to be paying for that. Um, and it's still going to cost, it's still going to be less than when you paid out of pocket, which was $120. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so is th- so why are generic medications cheaper than the brand name medications? So interestingly, typically when the brand uh, goes off patent, the generics actually aren't that much more expen- uh, much more much less expensive. They're uh, they're almost on par, which I was surprised about at first. I'm like, great, so and so medicine's going generic. Oh, it's about the same price. That sort of stinks. Over time, other manufacturers simultaneously can produce it. So I think that just becomes that competition. So the the price over time will come down. Uh, with generics, some generics are um, still pricey. I think, yeah, I think the, um, if I'm not mistaken, even the there's a generic for the EpiPen. I think that ones up being I don't know, 90% of the cost of the brand name, so it's still really high. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, the generics will be um, they are clinically and chemically equivalent, uh, so folks can certainly use those um, uh, uh, almost 100% of the time without without a clinical difference. Um, but yeah, that's the uh, there's there's multiple manufacturers that make. Uh, a generic versus one that makes it uh, branding. So then our costs that we pay for our insurance are really dictated by whatever the pharmacies, right? So is there a direct link between the pharmaceutical companies are able to say, oh, no, no, it's generic, so we'll reduce the cost, and the health insurance company reduces the cost as well? Yeah, so typically what will happen, there's there's another third party in the mix that uh, PBM, it's a pharmacy benefit manager. Our plan has it, most health plans do, so uh, we may not work directly with the different uh, manufacturers of certain medicines, uh, but this company will. So they'll work through and negotiate. Um, you know, if we exclusively use you, can we you know get a better rate? So that negotiation happens, and that that cost savings does get uh, passed on to you. So typically, insurance if uh, if a generic becomes much less expensive, your uh, insurance company typically won't charge you the old price and make money off of that. They'll continue to drop that rate. So you want to pay the benefit of that new negotiation. Um, just like with any uh, 
negotiated service, whether it be a pharmacy service or um, uh, you know, a new hospitals in the system, so you want to negotiate better rates there. So those 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 get passed down. Because I'm thinking of the, you know, so many people talk about the big bad pharma, you know, big mm-hmm. bad pharmaceutical companies. Oh my gosh, they're charging so much. You're saying though that the health insurance companies will typically reduce some of those costs for the plan. They're not they're not charging the same as big pharma is charging. There's a negotiation. I think typically. Uh, the health insurance will not subsidize if a medicine is going to be expensive from the manufacturer. If it's you know a thousand dollars, they're not going to, uh, I think, charge the health plan members eight hundred bucks. They're going to charge them a thousand dollars. The insurance company. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're not going to typically subsidize. But your benefit, how your benefits roll out, may be different. You, you may have a, a small uh, uh, deductible or a small um, copay. So regardless of the price. It's more your employer that makes a difference too. So you, you may pay a maximum of $20 for that medicine, but your employer is talking to your insurance company to say, can you please negotiate a better price with this? You know, I'm paying 980 bucks. Can you please oh, make right. it so I'm only yeah. paying 500? But that doesn't impact you initially because you're only paying the $20 copay. Next year when your premium goes up because that was so high, it will impact you. So there's sort of this all yeah. interrelated. There's a documentary, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called Fix It. And it talks about um, what we're discussing in terms of insurance and um, big pharma and single payer system. And uh, there is a discussion on there about how some companies have gone bankrupt, especially small businesses, Mm -hmm. because they've got to cover health insurance. And so if they get an individual who needs to go on hep C, Mm -hmm. um, has hep C and has to go on treatment, it's so expensive, they end up going bankrupt because they can't actually cover the the additional costs. So it sounds like that's what you're talking about. It's $20 to the patient, the person. But then that, that um, company has to pay the $980. Yeah, so if that company decided to be self-funded as opposed to having insurance, um, they would be you know, on the hook for that. I will say there's sort of a technical thing to decide is a, um, there's something called stop-loss coverage. So if you have a $2 million claim uh, from somebody, there's, there's usually you have some kind of insurance hanging out up there, so you're not completely exposed. Um, but there's variations that you still pay premiums as an employer for that. Uh, and you may say, well, we can pay up to a million dollars if something bad happens, but we can't pay much more than that, or whatever. You can, it's, it's all adjustable. Um, but that is also included in, I think, how your health plan, uh, uh, how the, uh, the cost of the health plan maps out, and how much you want to getting charged with premiums, and how much the employer pays for that. Yeah, interesting. I want to move on and talk about um, uh, hospital, inpatient, and outpatient. So we'll, we'll end with that. Um, so thinking Can I about, talk to you? I actually say something really yeah, cool yeah, about yeah. the generic, generic piece. Yeah, yeah. This is a quick um, thing we found out. When, one of the things we do frequently is look at: is there a way for us to really not impact our members but save some money? Mm. Uh, so there's copay cards that exist. So hey, I want to get a brand name of this medicine. I know a generic exists. I was on the generic, but now I got in the mail this brand and copay card where. Whatever my copay is, you're going to pay for me. So essentially, I don't pay anything. The insurance, you mean? Right. Uh, okay. uh, yeah. Me is the um, but the copay card comes from the manufacturer. You know, I as the uh, the patient say, this is great. I can switch to a, a brand name, then I don't have to pay any copay at all. I just use this card. So essentially, the copay is paid by uh, paid for by the manufacturer. So you know, doctors being people pleasers, they say, yes, this is brand medically necessary for you. If somebody asks me, I say, yeah, it's not going to hurt you. So you know, I'll say that. We did a quick uh, study. We had about five medicines we had on our health plan that um, um, were had a generic. They've been on the market forever, but they had a brand name uh, and they were using co uh, pay cards. So we looked and there were about maybe 30 patients or so that were using these and all told they as a group for a year 
maybe saved about $10,000 in, in co-pays. Not bad for 30 people, it's, it's a good yeah. amount of money. But what do you think the difference is that the employer had to pay for those brand name medicines versus um, what the generic would have been cost of the product? I would assume 10 times as much. Um, uh, yeah, it was, a, let me think, it was $500,000. Oh my gosh. Difference. So that's how much more the employer paid for these yeah, you know, wow. 30 people to be on the brand name with clinically no significant difference. So right. the people didn't really know. They're like, just, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. getting a uh, copay card. The uh, employer's like, this really sucks. This is not helping these guys. And now I can't hire three more people because right. I'm paying $500,000 for these medicines. And it means I can't hire staff. Wow. So there's, there's, a, there's a real connection. It seems connection. really sneaky, though, because then that, that tells you that the pharmacy is trying, the pharmaceutical company is trying to get their money. And Absolutely. so they're going through the patient. So the patient's like, I want the best. Mm -hmm. So I want you to prescribe the best. And then the poor employer, you know, has to cover that additional cost. And the pharmacy knows it, but the patient doesn't know it. You know, if, yeah. if you could show me that the generic is just as good or that mm -hmm. a different brand is just as good mm -hmm. as the new prescription coming out, well, yeah, then, get, you know, because I recognize that that additional cost that the company is paying for is going to affect me in the long run, right? Because Some like people you said, think about that. Some people yeah. think, well, it's 20 bucks for me or zero for me. I'm taking the 20 bucks. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter that it's costing my health plan all this money. They don't sort of connect the uh, the dots, yeah. but a lot of people will. It's just like yeah. large jury awards. It's like, you guys know you're going to pay for that in your, you know, your liability premiums over time. It's not just money that exists from somewhere. Right, yeah. So it's, it's something to think about. Yeah, and although some of us don't know, you know, <laughs> until this conversation we didn't know. Um, can you write, so in the hospital questions, can you write in your own exceptions or addendums on like a payment form? So for example, I will only pay for an in-network physician. Mm -hmm. So I haven't worked in the hospital in a while, but I can give you a sense of what uh, my opinions are with these. I think you knowing what your health plan is is, is important, like the in-network thing, and there are certain times and there's going to be doctors, not really in metropolitan areas, and maybe sometimes, where some of the doctors aren't on your health plan. Uh, that are seeing you in the hospital. And I'm not sure you're usually going to be in a great position if you're in a hospital because you're usually pretty sick then to be asking people, oh, you want my plan? You know, you covered those type of things. On the other hand, likely um, that form you have to sign is likely a legal document. So I'm thinking that it's unlikely that the nursing staff or the physician staff is going to have any ability to allow you to change it. Yeah. Um, I did have a, a patient once. It wasn't in the hospital. It was an outpatient where... Um, he had a problem with some of the wording and one of the privacy notices or something that we all typically sign when we see the doc. Uh, and he was talking to the reception about it. They're like, we can't really, you're not gonna sign it, we can't see you. You know, we're not gonna, we can't alter the form. Mm -hmm. So likely you can't, I guess you can try. Um, you probably won't be able to alter it. You, uh, it's good that if you or somebody that you're with can, that's, you know, can help you, don't forget, make sure your insurance covers this person. And I guess if they don't, it's a call to the, it's a, the insurance company. It could be problematic. I know with our health plan, when things like that happen, there are ways to appeal these, and, and it depends on the plan. There could be some benevolence where they're like, yeah, got it, you were sick, and there was somebody who wasn't on the plan. It's an extenuating circumstance. Sometimes uh, other health plans might not do that. So it, it's, a, it's a risk. But certainly, again, asking the question as much as you can beforehand and just being aware. Maybe you won't be able to change it much, but at least you can know what's coming. Yeah, it was a physician who, and this is where I learned to do this, because it was a physician who once said to me, well, you know, 
they can add additional costs because they have to bring in a certain surgeon, for example, to do the procedure and they're out of network and they're going to charge you for that out of network person. So right in there, I, I will pay for this and I will only pay for in-network providers. Uh, that was the suggestion that was was offered, but, yeah. but you know, but is, then I think is, you're stuck in that situation where yeah. all right, then we're not going to pull that guy in, or the guy needs to decide that am I going to accept whatever rates your insurance company pays me, and right. he may say I don't want to accept those rates. Then you're like, all right, I'm sort of stuck. So it might be better to, and not that you're offering this suggestion, but to sign the form and then be able to do the negotiation with the insurance company after the fact. Anything beforehand is, I think, always better because you have a, a better leg to stand on. Yeah. Although they're asking you to sign these forms usually like the morning of, you know, yeah, no, right before you go under anesthesia. Can you sign these forms? And you're like, well, I don't really have time to. Yeah, no, I think the, the form part, I'm thinking about more the uh, when providers or services are, uh, are being offered. You're like, well, you know, do I really need this and does my insurance cover it? Just yeah. you're an outpatient. Yeah. And the other question I have for hospitals, can you refuse items while you're in the hospital? Um, so for example, in terms of the transparency, um, I've had individuals and I did this community talks, they got their bill and they were charged for Kleenex mm-hmm. and they were charged for booties. And mm-hmm. they said, I, I wish I would have known I never needed those additional items. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, tell me a little bit about the transparency or lack of transparency about that. Yeah, I think I don't know as much about hospital billing. I do know that those things uh, exist. I think it's a challenge to try to, hey, I don't need that type thing when you're in the hospital because uh, the environment in the hospital is an unusual environment. Um, somebody I talked to recently said it's like a prison not that you're trapped but there's such control so you're um, the doctor really has complete uh, control over your intense service because of your intense illness there's a lot of stuff going on where typically if you're like hey you know what I don't want that or I don't want this the nurses or staff typically aren't empowered maybe to 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 make that decision they may have to contact the doctor and say hey you know so-and-so doesn't want uh, this particular service can you remove that from the order or something like that so it probably can happen um not knowing what the prices of 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 things are you know i don't know the booties are probably 50 bucks really they're not that expensive but everything in medicine is inflated for many many reasons um you know your insurance company doesn't pay 50 bucks for them but uh you know the hospital may charge that for it i think it's a challenge to try to uh, do that beforehand if there's a way to do it it's so how I'm sorry to the listener. We're getting some feedback here. Um, so yeah. So what do you do? How do you again? It, you know, in terms of healthcare insurance, we're we're getting this bill for you know fifty thousand dollars, and how much of it's a procedure, and how much of it is extraneous? Well, usually the way I catch it for for us personally, with the, even my wife and kids, and when I see the doctor, I'm like, listen, I'm paying for this. Whether I'm paying for all of it, there's going to be negotiated rates and deductibles, whatever. I'm like, hey, think about it this way. I'm paying for all of this. Um, do I really need that? You know, can you help me? You know, make sure that you know we don't. I think it's going to be more of a challenge with the Kleenex and the aspirin and that kind of stuff that they're sort of just going to provide for you anyway. I think with some of the bigger high dollar items, it's still a good conversation to have, even when you're in the hospital. Yeah. This is my third colonoscopy while I'm here. Um, uh, I'm, I'm paying for all of these. Is there, you know, is there a reason we can't help maybe... me understand why the third colonoscopy? Yeah. Okay. And I've heard patients say that, you know, so why am I getting this again? Um, they often hesitate actually articulating that because, again, mm-hmm. the assumption is, well, of course, the physician you have wouldn't. have to do this because the doctors... Well, the doctor know. said so. Why would they suggest something that wasn't medically yeah. necessary? And, it, it, you know, this so seems to be... The, yeah. yeah, this is the theme. The theme mm-hmm. is why would a physician 
order a test, prescribe a prescription, whatever that wasn't medically necessary. And mm-hmm. and you're basically saying in this episode, because they don't always know, because they're not always educated, um, and we're not always having the conversation about it. It's an interesting term, and we've struggled with this forever. Medically appropriate and medically necessary are probably yeah. two different things. Mm. Oh, anything the doctor does is probably medically appropriate. But what's really necessary? I think that's a hard thing to define. We call it medical necessity, even in the health plan, it's sort of listed in the, there's a definition. But really, it's medically appropriate is what we really say. You know, is there something that's absolutely medically necessary? Tough to say because medicine's not so black and white. I think that's where some of the challenge comes in, in my opinion. So I wanna, um, I wanna, in, in your medical opinion, um, in your expert opinion, I wanna end. Um, this session so we're, we're going to have a part two but i want to end part one here with um, a little bit of the outpatient you know primary care physician mm-hmm. um, why some doctors are in and out of network what happens when my doctor is no longer in network um, so a little bit about this in and out of network mm-hmm. why doctors are out of networks and uh, we'll end with certificate of unavailability Sure, the network piece, it's, that one's relatively simple. A physician will um, typically not individually, but usually they're part of a, a group to negotiate. Um, a, an insurance company will come to them and say, hey, you know, do you want to be participating in our plan? We'll send patients to you and you have to accept a, a lower rate. You know, we, mm-hmm. we want a deal, we're going to bring people to you. Uh, and if the physician or the group of physicians says, yeah, yeah, that sounds fine. That's a reasonable rate and we want all those people. So they get a discount. Yeah, the insurance company will get a discount. Yeah. And typically it's passed on to the rest of the membership. Uh, for them, uh, And then the provider gets the participation in that so they people open their book and they can go to see them. Um, versus some docs will say, hey, no, that rate's not really great. There's not many of me in the area. I'll just have people come to me out of network. And oh, I don't okay. think that typically happens, but it can. Um, and I heard it's happening more often I because think, of yeah. So so doctors may um, you know they're they're stepping away from accepting any insurance at all, uh, and maybe having an overall reduced rate, knowing that people are going to be paying full for it. Right. So you know if your regular office visits two hundred bucks, they may say okay, I'm I'm basically accepting cash. I'll mm-hmm. probably do a hundred bucks for my my regular office visits because really after the insurance company stuff, I'm maybe getting that anyway. So long as I cut them all out have my direct uh, relationship with uh, the financial relationship with the patient. Um, but I've seen that happen yeah. as well. If somebody leaves your network, that's going to depend on your health plan rules. If they leave the network and that's somebody who you continue to see you, A, could continue to see them, they may offer you somewhat of a benefit, but it may not be the same benefit you were getting before. They may pay a little bit less and you have, may have to pay a little bit more. Some insurance companies will say, no, if they're not in our network, there's no coverage for it, then you're really responsible for 100% of it. Uh, and there's that, that final piece that we call it certificate of non-availability, where you say, well, that service really isn't available in our network now. And once that person left, there's nobody else who can do this service for me. Um, would you agree? So then you sort of, sort of submit the form and we look at it and say, okay, is this really available here or is it not? And if it's not, we say, yep, we'll grant you that. And what that really means is that you'll, um, that provider will be paid at the highest benefit level. So he'll get paid as if he was in network, and you'll get the same benefit as if he was in network. The only issue is it doesn't guarantee that they will not balance bill you. If they um, charge seventeen that or $20,000 and the insurance company pays 3000 they oh. may decide to balance bill you the rest. 
Right. Whereas if you're a participating provider, part of that agreement that usually is, you're not going to balance bill our members, you're going to accept what we pay you. Oh, interesting. So, so if I need to see a surgeon that's out of network, for example, so I'm mm -hmm. thinking of the listeners who have to see somebody for cancer treatment, a surgeon, mm -hmm. somebody who has a specialty mm -hmm. that doesn't exist within the network of providers, mm -hmm. how can you go about, you know, so you're saying you, you might still see them, but again, you need to ask the questions about what's actually going to be covered because this, what's it called, the balance? So, uh, yeah, the balance billing. Balance billing. Yeah, so good point. There's probably a couple steps you would do with this. You'd say, well, you know, I need to see this individual. We don't have it here. So you would ask your insurance company to go through that process. And they would say, yep, we agree. Uh, you need to go there. It's medically necessary. We do cover that surgery and uh, we don't have it available in the network. So it hits the three marks. Here's your certificate of non-availability. And then it winds up becoming a conversation usually after, but sometimes before with the provider say, okay, my insurance is going to cover this at their rate. Um, are you going to accept that in, as full payment uh, or does it depend? And then there's some, maybe a conversation there to say, well, we're not sure what they're going to pay. And then that whole predetermination may come, in, uh, come into play. And there was be some conversation back and forth or more typically on the back end when you get the bill, you're like, whoa, what's the deal? Then it's, okay, insurance company A, can you pay them more because they're really in a uh, sought after area? It's, it's not you know your typical uh, procedure, typical surgery. Uh, and B, you write to the provider and say, listen, um, can we negotiate this, this down a little bit? Uh, my insurance paid you what they said they were going to and I, I'm really stuck with the bill here. What can we do to uh, try to reduce this? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Burke. I uh, appreciate uh, a, a lot of transparency about uh, our U.S. healthcare system. We have listeners from all over the world, and uh, if they already don't know about the complexities of our healthcare system, they will sure have heard a lot. <laughs> For the rest of us who have to live in this really, really challenging um, health insurance system, we hope that we've offered some transparency and already some tidbits, but we invite you to listen to part two where we are going to offer, um, Dr. Burke is going to offer some specific tips on what you can do uh, to navigate the U.S. healthcare system. Again, we'd like to remind you to like us on Facebook, and you can also subscribe to get up-to-date podcasts. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.